Veterans Day already. How many of you have done your Christmas shopping? Okay, great. All right. We're going to move right into it because we've got a full program that our class is participating in. And most of the people you're going to meet, you know. Okay, but we got some great photos from them to share with you this morning. I'm going to ask that you hold any applause until the end because we're going to try and make up some of the time. Okay, so here we go. Our first presenter, would you please welcome... Mr. Frank Brown. Good, good morning, everyone. Uh, first, let me uh, thank Don and Jeff for developing this program. And a special shout out to Jeff uh, for all the graphics and videos. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. Yeah, 30 years. Who would have thought, you know? I never planned to stay on active duty for 30 years. I was went through ROTC at Mississippi State, and my intention was to serve my four years and, and get out. But uh, I tell you, we, and I emphasize the word we, because uh, Marianna played a huge role in my career. But uh, we love the Air Force, and we love the military life. And I was uh, very grateful to have God in my life and great people who supported me throughout my career. And the greatest one, of course, is my wife. Uh, she sacrificed a lot to follow me in 19 moves in 30 years. So I don't have time only to focus on two assignments today to illustrate our faith and, and how God's love supported us. As I said, I graduated from Mississippi State, went through ROTC and entered active duty in 1969. Uh, the Air Force asked me to fill out an assignment preference. And so I did. Uh, I said I wanted to be in the Southeast, preferably in Mississippi, Florida, <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> And I, I really, at that time, was naive enough to think that the Air Force was going <laughs> to look at that, you know. Well, uh, I was assigned to Mountain Home, Idaho. <laughs> That's pretty close to the southeast, right? But, uh, you know, how many of you have ever been to Mountain Home? <laughs> you know, Idaho is a, is a beautiful state. Mountain home, not so much. Uh, Mariana was uh, pregnant with our first child, uh, and it, uh, our daughter was due in November that year. So, this, in fact, today is her birthday. Uh, so she couldn't travel with me, so I had to drive up. Me and the dog uh, drove up uh, to Idaho from Mississippi, having never been past the state of Texas before. Uh, but I flew her in at night because I was afraid if she saw the base in, in the daylight, she'd turn around and go back to Mississippi. But, you know, uh, we, were, we were very fortunate. We found uh, a family and a home away from home. There was a Southern Baptist Mission Church in Mountain Home, and uh, the Lord led us to that church, and we had a we had a great two and a half years there, Mountain Home. Uh, the next assignment I want to touch on is our 
first overseas assignment. We'll fast forward to uh, 1977, and uh, we were finishing up a three-year ROTC assignment. I was teaching down at LSU. How about those tigers last night? <laughs> Sorry, Larry, I had to do uh, I got a pull for the Bayou Bengals when they're not playing my school, you know. Uh, so we, we uh, again, I requested England <laughs> and Germany as my second choice, and they sent us to Yokota, Japan. <laughs> uh, again, uh, I should have learned my lesson. But you're talking about a culture shock. Young captain, three small children, and we initially had to live off base. So it was it was uh, brutal that that first winter, and uh, that's uh, that's where Mariana really earned her uh, gold star. Uh, I was going TDY most of the time to Korea. I don't know why they didn't just send me to Korea because I spent most of my time here, but. Again, God was looking after us and led us to a again another Southern Baptist church that was supported by the Foreign Mission Board. Their Canto Plains Baptist Church, led by a wonderful preacher, Reverend Dewey Mercer, and his uh, lovely wife, Ramona. Again, during that tour, we had a church family away from us. So I'd like to close with this. On the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, an armistice between Germany and the Allied nations came into effect. On November the 11th, 1919, Armistice Day was commemorated for the first time. And in 1919, President Wilson proclaimed, the day should be filled with solemn pride in the heroism of those who died in the country's service and with gratitude for the victory. Next on the program is Dave Roberts. I was born in Asheville, North Carolina in 1939. Shortly thereafter, this was my first pilot picture. I was two years old and Dot Rogers was three and this was her father's Piper Cub. This was the beginning of a long aviation career for both of us. <clears throat> I spent 40 years flying airplanes from 1959 until 1999. Some in the Air Force, <clears throat> excuse me, some in the Delta Airlines. Dot married a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Russ Rowland in 1983 who died prematurely in 2013 after 30 years of marriage. She still lives in Asheville. <clears throat> Excuse me. The next picture is shortly before I finished pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma. Thank you. That's the uh, selfie I took in the backseat of a T-33 T-Bird jet trainer <laughs> just before graduation. It really is me in that bag on my head. Ah. <laughs> uh, at graduation, we were commissioned as second lieutenants and received our silver Air Force pilot wings. <clears throat> Shortly after that, I went back home to West Palm Beach, and Lynn and I got married and spent the next six years in SAC, 
We were flying tankers at Little Rock Air Force Base in Arkansas at Glasgow Air Force Base, Montana. And in December of 67, we moved to Atlanta and I joined Delta Airlines and Dobbins Air Force Base in the Air Force Reserve. About a year later, North Korea captured the USS Pueblo as a naval intelligence ship off the coast of Korea and imprisoned all the crew members, 83 crew members, and they were in prison for a year. Two days later, President Johnson mobilized 28 units of the Naval and Air Force Reserve and the Air Guard. Our unit at Dobbins was one of those. So after a year at Delta, I was back on active duty with our unit for the next year and a half. <coughs> you can change the slide. Okay. This is a picture <coughs> of a four uh, Air Force Reserve Delta employees who are now uh, mobilized. The three guys standing up are Delta pilots. The skinny one, nearly 30 years old, on the right is me. <laughs> and the, uh, uh, the guy on the left sitting down is a Delta aircraft mechanic who is the flight engineer on this trip. The uh, picture next to it is uh, us showing the, uh, the Huey helicopters that we had on board the airplane being unloaded at the Nang Air Force Base in Vietnam. We had flown from Dobbins down to Corpus Christi, Texas to pick up three repaired Huey helicopters, and then we flew those on to California and to Hawaii and to Wake Island and to Guam and to MAC-10 Air Force in the Philippines. Then the next day, we flew a round trip from MAC-10 to Da Nang and unloaded three helicopters and down to Tonsonut in Saigon and picked up three shot-up helicopters to take back to Corpus Christi and then back to MAC-10 to spend the night. On the return trip, we uh, took the same route back. Every place we stopped, other than in Corpus Christi and in Vietnam, we spent the night. <clears throat> and on the way home, I had my 30th birthday twice. <laughs> we landed in Wake Island on April the 4th, 1982. I'm sorry, 1969. And uh, spent the night, took off on April the 5th, and landed in Honolulu on my birthday, 30th birthday, April the 4th. <laughs> Lynn says that that makes me a year older than I used to be, so I'd say no. Anyway, it was a long trip. It takes about two weeks to do that trip, 200 miles an hour, 125 hours of flying time. And um, the airplane was unpressurized. We were flying at 10,000 feet. <laughs> it takes a long time to go that far. C-124, Globemaster, four-engine propeller airplane. This airplane. In this picture, you can see the cargo doors in the front are open and the big ramps come down. There's a big winch in the back of the airplane to unload and load cargo. Third picture over there is a, a retirement ceremony they had for us at uh, Dobbins. They patted me on the back and they gave Lynn a certificate for all her 30 years of support for keeping me fed and healthy. And uh, it was a good, a good career. We, uh, I think all military veterans share a... Uh, fellowship and camaraderie and history together, and we quietly celebrated every year at this time. I think we were all blessed to live in the United States, and we were honored to serve the country. And after Congress was approved in May 1938, which made November 11th in each year a legal holiday known as Armistice Day. This day was originally intended to honor veterans of World War One. And World War II required the largest mobilization of servicemen in the history of the United States, and the American forces fought again in Korea. In 1954, the Veterans Service Organizations urged Congress to change the word armistice to veteran. Congress approved this change on June the 1st, 1954, and November 11th, tomorrow, became a day to honor. 
all American veterans wherever and whenever they have served. Thank you. Please say hello to David Taylor. Um, there's actually hair under that hat. Um, I'm holding Maxie, who was a puppy at the time, uh, who lived on my track with my crew. The second picture shows Maxie a number of months later supervising maintenance on that same track. Um, Maxie and the other dogs who lived with us field, uh, in some small way helped to preserve our sense of humanity and connection with one another that at times was sorely missing. So Maxie lived in my heart. There are essentially three things that, three bedrocks that form the basis for the service to my country. The first is this, we the people of the United States, in order to preserve, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. This is the foundation of our country and who we are. After four years at West Point, I encountered the second of these three rocks. I, David L. Taylor, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this oath freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will truly and faithfully discharge the duties to the office to which I have been appointed. So help me. We are unique in all of the militaries in this world in that we swear an oath of allegiance to a document, not to... I took that oath 50 years, better than 50 years ago, and it is as applicable today as it was then. Finally, the third rock on which this rests is West Point's motto of duty, honor, country. Duty, support, to do one's very best at whatever the task. To go beyond what is expected or asked. Honor, to do the right thing as Christ country, to form a more perfect, established justice, ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves, to our children, <clears throat> to our grandchildren, and to everyone grandchildren. Thank you, David Taylor. Please say hello to class member Tom Cantrell, U.S. Marine Corps, 1960, 1963. Tom? Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, morning Today's our uh, 244th birthday, so happy birthday, Marine Corps. Yeah. 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 Hey, uh, good news for y'all. I left my notes at home. <laughs> so I'm going to be a lot shorter than everybody else. But, uh, I grew up uh, grew up in Buckhead, uh, North Fulton High School, and uh, University of Georgia uh, after that. And then... Uh, in the Marine Corps in, in 60, and uh, it was a good experience. He uh, back up a little bit and tell you that uh, on Buckhead, it was a Peachtree Road Methodist Church, and uh, subsequently, years later, uh, 
Linda and I were married in that church. But uh, moving forward, the Marine Corps, I was in communications uh, comparable to uh, AT&T. We did uh, basically the uh, central offices for the telephones for uh, Okinawa, and then uh, did all the installation work in the field. We had uh, civilians that worked for us, and so I did a lot of holding the clipboard you know, type type thing, but it was a good experience, and I got to see uh, a lot of that part of the world. I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, I went down to, uh, flew down to Hong Kong uh, for the r and I was walking down the street, you know, past two American sailors. I saw on their sleeve the uh, name of the ship that they were on, the Ranger. My closest friend from high school was aboard that ship. So I hired a sandpan to carry me out to it and uh, got out there and went aboard. And the whole dude told me, he said, I'm sorry, but uh, you're not going to see him. He's ashore uh, on, on Liberty. And he said, well, however... Uh, tomorrow is payday, so he'll be back for that. <laughs> so I left by a hotel uh, where I was staying, and then the following afternoon I got back uh, from a tour, and uh, there Bob was with several of his friends and uh, waiting on me in the bar, and we got in there, and I started there and saw most of Hong Kong, I think, blew the doors off the place. But uh, it was a good experience. But the, uh, the Marine Corps was a, a great experience for me. It, it taught me a lot. Uh, it was a good environment, a Christian environment, and uh, I learned learned a lot about life, uh, which has subsequently enabled me to be, be a relative success. I had uh, 28 years with Atlantic Steel, uh, Steel Mill in Atlanta, and then 20 years uh, working for myself as a manufacturer's representative, and so it was it was nice. I uh, I miss working, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, we appreciate it. I'll just leave you with some Semper Fi, brothers and sisters. member who couldn't join us this morning wanted me to post his comments. We all know it's grossing, so I'll give you 30 cents. Move from day. There's Vince right there, two years younger. So on to Georgia for our graduation and assignment. Everything we own was Vince shared. This. The van was stolen on a trip from Dayton with everything in it. And he thought, my gosh, we had lost it all day long. And the van showed up. And he said every belonging they had was in it, in the van. I told him it wasn't really an act of God. People who stole the van didn't like what you had. <laughs> <laughs> So there is one monument that we'd like to point out real quickly this morning. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Arizona, be sure you take in the five-pillar Veterans Day, uh, Anthem Veterans Day Memorial. It is absolutely spectacular. It has uh, five monolithic uprights of concrete that catch the sun exactly on November 11th at 11 o'clock in the morning. And for the magnified sun in the bottom on the Great Saints. And with that, please say hello to U.S. Army Ernie Robertson. Ernie served from 1960 to 1979, almost 20 years in the U.S. Army. Good morning. This is a little long, so I'm going to have to, to read. It says, I was known as an Army brat. My father was a career officer, thus we traveled to many different parts of the world. We were in South Korea just after World War II and saw firsthand the destruction caused by that conflict. There were many orphaned children trying to live in cardboard boxes in the middle of winter as there was no government to take care of them. I was in the sixth grade there in the military dependent school, just one of my several different schools that I went to, finally graduating in Anchorage, Alaska. My first duty station as a young Signal Corps lieutenant was a place called Asmara 
Ethiopia, East Africa. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little different than uh, the normal place. The people that live there, the locals, the natives, were part of a caste system. The families lived their lives on the sidewalk in front of each apartment. People were born there, died there, raised their children there, rain or shine, 24 hours a day. From there, I went to Iran, spent a year in Tehran, and found that the poor there were just as bad off as the people in Africa. And it says, even though these people were a different religion, I often wondered what kind of God would put them in this sort of situation. Later assignments were Taiwan, Vietnam, and back to Korea again. In each place, I saw the good and the bad of life and realized how lucky I was known to be in a caring and loving family. My last station as a lieutenant colonel was here in Atlanta at Fort McPherson. I decided that after seeing the world, this is about as good a place as I could find. So this is where we stopped. And I've always enjoyed my membership in this class and all you loving Christians. Thank you. Another class member not able to join us this morning, Tom Erdman, U.S. Marine Corps, 1955-1985. Now, let me present Johnny Wright, U.S. Army, 1971-1992. Johnny? Uh, my uh, Army experience actually started in 1957 and ended in 1992. And to know my Christian walk, I need to let you know about my father. So my story is that of a veteran, but I cannot tell it without acknowledging the service of those who died in combat to make our country great. My father joined the Tennessee National Guard after high school and rose to the rank of Master Sergeant before being commissioned and becoming a pilot. In 1957, my father went on active duty. So I went on active duty. I was seven years old, making me an Army. Prior to going on active duty, my father uh, was an elder in my home Presbyterian church. Once we arrived at our first duty station at Fort Polk, Louisiana, my family found a rural community church and joined. It was a Baptist church, so he was baptized again, this time in a pond. <laughs> Throughout the next 10 years, we always found a church either on or off post. My father and mother taught me to tithe to both our home church and to the churches where we worshiped. In September 1966, my father went to Vietnam as a Mohawk. He died on February the 19th, 1967, and was buried on March the 10th, 1967, two days after my 18th birthday. Twenty years after my father's death, a Baptist pastor who served with my father in Vietnam wrote my family a letter while he was assigned as a missionary in New Guinea. He celebrated the faith of my father in his letter. I tried to make contact with him and was unsuccessful. And then on the uh, 50th anniversary, I again tried in 2017, I tried to make contact with him and I was successful. Uh, I've made a copy of that letter that uh, this uh, pastor sent us in an email that uh, I'm gonna share following uh, our salute to veterans. My, my family, because of my father's death, are considered gold star families and that's the reason I wear my uh, gold star lapel pin today. Now, for my time in the Army, and I'll be quick, I hope, after I graduated from high school, which was just uh, that same year that my father died, I went to college in my hometown, lived at home, 
to be supportive of my mother and siblings. I enrolled immediately in ROTC program, and I went on active duty January 1971 and retired in 72. At my officer's basic course at Fort Sill, I was asked if I wanted to go to Vietnam. Because my father had died, they gave me a choice. Uh, I chose not to go, uh, mostly for my mother's sake. I served in the field artillery and spent many years in nuclear-capable units, mostly 155 field artillery units. And later I was assigned to a Pershing-1 missile unit in Germany, where at that unit I was in support of the German Air Force. In 1985, I was assigned to Fort Leavenworth. That's where I met Nancy. And uh, while stationed there, we were married 32 years ago, later this month. And I joined uh, her Lutheran church in Blue Springs. During this time, I complete, completed the command at General Staff College, and I earned a master's in management. My last overseas assignment was in Turkey. And while in Turkey, operations Desert Storm or Desert Shield and Desert Storm were declared. I was assigned to a artillery group that was in support of the Turkish uh, Army's nuclear capability. I was assigned back to Fort Leavenworth as my final duty station where I completed my MBA. After I returned from Turkey and while stationed at Fort Leavenworth, I was active in our Lutheran church and was asked to uh, serve on the executive board of that church, which consisted of uh, two pastors and three other lay leaders. My responsibilities there were for finance, personnel, and property, which would later lead to my career as a church business administrator. During the years 1957 to 1992, I got to experience nearly every form of worship in nearly every uh, Protestant denomination and even experienced Catholic tradition. I, fa I found that we all share a common belief, but governance is one of the key differences. Overseas, counting my father's time in the service, I spent 11 years in Germany and 13 months in Turkey. Now, we would like to acknowledge that those who have spoken today are but a few of the veterans in our class. We would now like to have all the veterans stand and be recognized. And now, how about a nice warm welcome again for our favorite teacher, the one and only Mr. Dr. Jim McCormick. I know it's late, so I won't take me just a few moments, but I wanted to share with you the fact that the new book would not have been possible uh, without George Martin. He's the one who, who made it happen. Uh, let me tell you just a couple of things. Uh, by the way, uh, Tom and Martha uh, were, are heading this up, sell this, and we decided we'd do this on the honor system. So you can just take a book, pay them whenever you want to do it. Uh, I'll be back on the 24th to teach and on December 1st to teach and I'll be happy to inscribe any of it at that time. But first, let me tell you something about the background. Very early on, I decided to take writing seriously. And uh, people urged me, you know, they said, do things you write ought to be in print? So I said, okay. So I submitted things to several publishers, and I got the nicest rejection letters you ever saw. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's that. Uh, it'll be over and done with. But then the second church that I served in California, a woman came up to me one day, she was a nurse. She said, I'm retiring in January. I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. Uh, I'm going to pay for this, and I want to publish. You, pro you provide the words. I'll go to a community college, and I'll set the type. We can print it in our church's offset printing press. We'll publish a book. And so we did. Uh, and here it was, very rustic. But I finally had something in print. 
A year later, she came back and said, I'm ready to do the second one. And so we did. That's the second one. Still, still in rustic form. Through the years, I did several other books. I said, okay, I'm done. It's done. Then George became my friend. And George, as I said from Friday, George had a way of sending a, le a letter or an email to his children and grandchildren with some words of inspiration, some guidance, some of the best. And he quoted me several times in those, those letters. And one day, he went to Amazon to my author page and found that a used bookseller had offered one of these books for sale. And George bought it and liked it. It's called Tell It Like It Can Be. <laughs> and George came to me and said, I, I, I want to publish that. I want to take some of my retirement funds and pay for the publishing of that book. And I said, George, look, I've, do, I've done six. I'm done. I don't know. But he just consisted. You know, George, he just consisted. And I said, you know, they have to be updated, have to be edited, and all that sort of stuff. Three of the sermons in there are the early Broadway sermons, and I don't want them to repeat, be repeated. And that's not enough left. He kept on. I said, okay, we'll do 40% of the old first book, 60% of the new stuff, a lot of those are the things that I did, none in here. Uh, One Nation Under God, uh, uh, Christians Without Salt, uh, The Main Thing, uh, When Trouble Comes, all those are in the new book. Okay, So here, here's, here's the remarkable thing. Uh, he said, I want, it, I want it to be, that's the old, that's the new. This is thicker than any book I'd ever done before because he said, I want the print to be larger. <laughs> And I want it to be darker. And here, here's the God thing. All the other books that I've done before, you know, these, from the time we submitted the words to the time of they mailed it back to us for about three months, we sent this in hoping we could have it out by Christmas because it makes for a nice little Christmas gift and so forth. It came back in printed form in one month, just about two weeks before George died. He wanted 25 copies, so he'd give it to his children and grandchildren and his friends. And I was privileged to deliver that to him. Uh, and he had it, and he passed it on. What I need to read to you very quickly is it's dedicated. The first one was dedicated to uh, my parents, who were still alive at the time. This book is dedicated to the memory of my parents, Martin and Vader McCormick, from whom I first heard the good news and in whose lives I've seen and experienced so much of God. I repeated that. But here's the addition. And to dear friends in two Sunday school classes, which I've been privileged to teach numerous times through the years, and for whom I facilitated several retreats, the Christians Under Construction class of First United Methodist Church of Roswell, Georgia, and the Fellowship class of Big Canoe Chapel, Big Canoe, Georgia. So it's dedicated to you with gratitude for all that you've met in my life and the lives of others. have a closing prayer in honor of our veteran. Loving God, our Father, we give you thanks for this nation that we love. has meant so much to us and to all the world. We're grateful for the values which called it into being and for those principles which have guided us and sustained us through the years. We give you special thanks this day for our veterans who have given so much of themselves to us. As we experience this Veterans Day, we ask you to help each of us to renew our commitment to those values to those principles which have guided us and sustained us through the years, so that each of us may be more worthy of the sacrifices of our veterans. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.
wonderful program. Thank you, Jeff and Don. That was fabulous. Thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Thank you to all our veterans. And I also want to, um, I know y'all read this yesterday. George was also a veteran. He was um, a second lieutenant in the Army, a jungle expert. Can you believe George Martin, lean and mean, a jungle expert. I just think of George Martin as that big old huggy bear. But um, he was a veteran as well. So we, we love, thank you, Sandy. We love you. Um, and also, since I have the microphone, <laughs> I'm going to, I know all, a lot of you have fathers and brothers and sisters that were in the, um, that are veterans. My father, who died a couple of years ago, I just want to mention him. He was a, he was a Normandy survivor, uh, northern France, uh, Ardennes, is that right? Okay. Rhineland and Central Europe. He was in the Battle of the Bulge. So he was in the Army. I'm trying to think if it says what his unit was, but I can't. <laughs> it says his civilian occupation back in tractor driver. <laughs> he was a farmer. Anyway, he was, he was my special veteran that I loved dearly. All right. If you really want to be like Jesus, be the one who stays when everyone else walks away. Be the one who forgives, even when it's undeserved. Be the one to show grace, even when everyone else is casting stones. Be the one to show love, even when they betray you, betray you, because that's who Jesus is. Make it a great week. Remember, God loves you.